Nikki. Hey, Selena. And welcome to Sweet Tea and TV. Hey, y'all. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like every time I'm about to go into what the podcast is, <laughs> and your hey, y'all cuts me off. <laughs> okay, perfect. Just in the nick of time. <clears throat> okay, well, before we dive into episode nine, mm-hmm. I wanted to start off with, you know, mm. the Proust survey. The hard questions. Let's get to know ourselves. Let's. Are you ready? I'm ready. What do you consider your greatest achievement? Selena, what do you consider your greatest achievement? <laughs> this is the kind of question they could have us sitting here all day. For me. I, I have one. Oh. I have one. Please go. I think the easy answer is to say my kids because genuinely, like when I look at them, I'm, I, there's no... I, it's what I would use if I were you. <laughs> I, I didn't do that much to have them, but I'm genuinely so proud of them. And I think it's cool to, but, but I'm not going to use that answer. The answer okay. I'm going to use is graduating college. Oh. Okay. And I say that because um, I am a first generation college student. Okay. And so that was a really big accomplishment. It was something I worked really hard for, something I paid a lot of money for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm proud of that. And check back next September, I will have paid off my student loans and I will be very proud of myself. Woo-hoo! <laughs> well, don't celebrate yet. Oh, sorry. Don't celebrate yet. <laughs> I've been trying to get them to forgive my loans mm-hmm. and I've been largely unsuccessful to this point. So. I forgive you. Thank you. <laughs> no, you. I feel like we should rename that too. <laughs> right. I must forgive you for going to college. <laughs> um, What's yours? That's so great. I have nothing. I think honestly. You have things. I think honestly, um, right now, at the point I am in life, um, it's not that there aren't things that I'm proud of, but this is really hard for me because it's really hard to talk about myself in this way. I mean, you might as well just push me down a staircase honestly i think if i got to choose and you were like okay we can take you out the staircase we can do that if you want let's let's go you want that to be your out um maybe (laughs) but nope wait we can't record me proving that i pushed you down the stairs and i can't right and and then we can't finish the podcast correct so i think that what i would say is for right now right now this feels like my greatest achievement because so much of life are these things that you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Like you're Go to college, <laughs> but... get a job, have kids. Yeah. It's like all these check boxes. And it's like, we stopped and we said, you know what? There's got to be more to life. There's... <laughs> Is there life out there? <laughs> so much she hasn't done. <laughs> Wait, I've used that before. <laughs> Anyways, but that's seriously what it felt like, that it was a way to like try and break up the monotony, to try and do something different. And I think one of the things that we talked about in leading up to this is that we wanted to put a little good in the world. And we're trying to do that with just like putting some fun into the world. Yeah. And we've talked about a lot of serious things because I'm here. We talk and, about serious crap. And I'm Debbie Downer and I take everything down. Um, but <laughs> occasionally I try and laugh and make a sarcastic joke. So <laughs> It's been an educational experience. Yes. So that, I think, is what I'll say for mine for right now. And then, Congratulations. <laughs> and congratulations to you. Thank you. And congratulations to everyone <laughs> on whatever it is that you're achieving. Okay, the second one is, if you were to die and come back as a person or a thing, what would it be? What about you, Selena? (laughs) I know exactly what I would do. I would come back as someone's pet. Oh. Because I see the way that dogs live today. But like a loved pet. 
Yeah. Not like a... Well, that's a fair question. You know, sometimes you're doing practicing a little self-hate, but this is all about not self-hate because I want to be someone's very well taken care of dog. I was going to say like a celebrity, but was it Lady Gaga who had her dog stolen Uh, by some stalker uh, who tried then to sell them? Um, So maybe not a celebrity, maybe a really well-off person. Don't even really need that. I mean, I, people across all different money levels, uh, you know, or whatever it is you want to gauge success by, I'm not saying that it, it always happens this way, but I feel like there's a lot of love put into pets wherever. But yeah, I mean, you know, if I had something cushier to sit on, like I'd rather my dog bed be from Pottery Barn. <laughs> Incidentally, I've... <laughs> You have a dog bed from Pottery Laid Barn? on a bed, a dog bed from oh, Pottery God. Barn. Oh, Lord. And, and I just about bought it for myself. <laughs> so that's mine. Gosh, that's, that is a really, really tough question. I don't have a great quick answer. What comes to mind is something that like brings joy or captures joy. So like I was just sitting here thinking about like a camera. Someone taking pictures, like capturing someone's joy, but cameras can be used for bad things. So, or like playground equipment where you can just hear kids laughing and having fun and playing all day. That would be fun. Well, that's really... I want something joyful Uh to spend my, if I have to spend my existence doing something, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, there's not another person I would choose to come back as, to be honest. Like... That's funny because I was thinking no matter what, neither one of us have said that yeah no i a person doesn't no um but a thing and so if i have to choose a thing yeah something like that something that brings joy or hears joy or just want to hear people laugh all day like a comedy club stage well i i would just add that i don't think you have to think of it as like oh make sure that no one can do anything bad with this thing right because i think this is (laughs) I think this is safe enough, this exercise, <laughs> that we can pretend no one would pick up the camera that you become and and try and be a private investigator well, catching then, someone in a cheating scandal. A family photographer's camera would be awesome. Or like a fantastic artist's camera where they're just like capturing amazing things or fun things or joy or happiness or um, not so much sadness, but they do that too. So it's good to see the range of human motion. And I think this is a wonderful, happy segue into Season 2, Episode 9, I'll Be Seeing You. All right. Episode descriptions. Hulu says, when a handsome army colonel appears at Sugar Baker's shop. You're, you're making body motions that made me think I'm reading it funny. <laughs> Charlene is sure her friends have arranged his appearance as a surprise answer to her birthday wish for a soldier. <laughs> everybody's birthday wish. I'm sorry. Okay, IMDb says, Charlene meets and falls in love with Bill Stillfield, a recently widowed colonel in the U.S. Air Force. That night, she dreams of herself in a World War II era bar. There, she meets him, accepts his proposal of marriage, and believes he'll be back, even though his plane is shot down in Europe. Any comments? (sighs) Not yet. Air date, November 23rd, 1987. Written by LBT, directed by David Trainer. Where do you add on general reactions and stray observations? I have two no-nos for TV shows. Uh-oh. This one got them both. Oh, no. Number one, dream sequences. And number two, singing on a show that's not about singing. So oh. 
To be honest, this was pretty rough for me. Because I I will just tell you that normally if either one of those things are occurring and I realize that it's happening, I'll go, nope. Yep. But but, but, but we can't do that. We can't do that. Yeah. So I had to, I stuck around. You're allowed occasionally to phone it in. If you tell me you need a phone in her, I'll do it for you. Because I'll tell you, skipping down to things I didn't like, Uh the singing man. You know I'm not a musical person. Mm -hmm. I don't enjoy the musicals. Mm -hmm. The only thing I enjoyed was Anthony's Ray Charles yeah, that was pretty good. Version, that was really nice. Mm-hmm. But every other time they sang, I was like, <laughs> this will be over soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Another big thing that bubbled up for me was, um, I'll phrase it like a question. Perfect. <laughs> would Charlene... I'll put it back on you. <laughs> would Charlene have scared you off if you were Bill? Yes, 100%. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Red flags everywhere. <laughs> okay. That's good. But Bill also had some lines where I felt like we went from zero to 60 real fast. So I think it was intentional. I, it's not that I understand that people like fall in love quickly. That That's possible. I feel like military people move faster too. Oh, okay. I Okay. Well, yeah, because things are maybe a little bit more dire. Mm-hmm. Things are like turned up. Right. Uh, okay. I can follow that. But so, all right. So the premise is funny in the show mm-hmm. for us as the audience. Right. Because she jokingly asks um, the ladies for a soldier for her birthday, as we learn from the description, mm-hmm. um, or if you're watching the show, hopefully. Uh, so when he shows up at work, she thinks he's her gift, but he doesn't know that. So the interaction is weird for right. him. So right. I, I'm just trying to think about him and not just us as an audience. Then she's calling to ask his coworkers about him before they go on their first date. Um, we're in pre-Google times. So (laughs) I'm not saying like... You got to put yourself out there. uh, Yeah. And then apparently she calls a ton after she's, she dreams that he's died. I'm going to go ahead and say something that maybe did throw me about the descriptions. I don't think it says that his plane went down. I, she, his plane was shot down over Europe. That really happened. That's the way that description reads. No, that's the fever dream. Okay, okay. I thought they were saying that also happened in real life. And this, I was like, this is where it gets confusing, right? The whole episode confused me. I, like you, uh, maybe the last episode, I was doing a little multitasking on that first watch. Mm-hmm. And I missed, I guess I missed the delineation between the dream and real life. And she was like, mm. Bill, he's died. And I was like, why do you think Bill died? You were just with him last night. He said he's stationed in Atlanta. He's not in like a war zone area. So what? what is going on? So the whole episode confused me on, uh, I'm embarrassed to admit, a couple of watches. Well, but is is that for your embarrassment? Or does that show that maybe there was a whole, that it's hard? Let's put it that way. That it might be really challenging to build a dream sequence. And to, they were just doing a lot. They were doing a lot. They were doing the most, maybe. Yeah. Um, So those are my two biggest overall reactions. So I will say, though, I thought it was an interesting, clever way to approach the episode. I think that, I think it was interesting to make Bill a soldier in the first place. But it fits Charlene's character. Charlene wants to live in romance. And what is the height of romance? A very dashing military person in uniform coming to like save you or whatever. So it fits her personality that this is kind of how it all comes together. Mm -hmm. And then the World War II flashback also fits her personality in that realm of romance. 
it's one of the few character development things we get this whole time, right? Yeah. She tells us when she meets Mary Jo's dad in, in, in season one and maybe some other time. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she's yeah, very yeah. obsessed with World War II. Yeah. And, and, and we get that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I was on to something with that comment. Right, look at me. Well, we get that again at, like, um, the top of this episode because when they're all meeting for her birthday... Um, and this, I actually have a sidebar set up for us. Oh, okay. Um, uh, to watch a couple of movies, one of them, which is Hollywood Canteen, which is a World War II era film. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, we get something else too related to World War II, which is, I'm saying this now because it was also a stray observation of mine. Something that we have not seen that I recall to this point is after that weird dream sequence, we got like a super cut of World War II footage. Oh, uh-huh. That was weird. That was weird. I mean, it's fine. It's just like, it was noticeably different than the aesthetic of the rest of the show. So it stood out for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, did, did, what about you? Strays? Things that hit you? Well, the fact that I thought the episode was cleverly done, I think it's been interesting to watch them explore different ways of storytelling. So mm-hmm. we get this dream sequence. Uh, we got the cruising episode where they, quote unquote, went out of Sugar Bakers, but they went somewhere else and did mm-hmm. something else. So it's cool to see them explore different creative ways of storytelling. Um, my stray observation is mm-hmm. I have a does this count for bingo? Okay. Mary Jo pointed out Suzanne's cleavage in the dream sequence, I think it was, and made a joke about how she has to sleep on her back. It's not as on the nose as some of her breast references or breast for preferences if you will references yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it counts right i, I let's we go. need a ruling I, I i rule okay okay so if you've missed the other preferences we've had then you can count that one on your bingo card if you have it okay um i think also just hmm, okay during the dream sequence one of my stray observations is that julia's call with hitler read like madonna's vogue Oh, where Madonna what? like breaks out and she's like Greta Garbo and Monroe oh. Dietrich and DiMaggio and she right. just starts like this whole string of people from like the 40s and so like John Wayne Eddie Rickenback Audie Murphy Will Rogers Jimmy Stewart Babe Ruth Jackie Robinson Roy Rogers Jimmy Stewart Dwight Eisenhower Bob Hope Mr. Rogers Started to fall apart there <laughs> it is a dream which I would just go ahead and skip ahead and say I like that about the dream sequence yeah. that real life was creeping in yeah. because she also says Eddie Murphy, <laughs> <laughs> but we get Ginger Rogers, Louis Armstrong and Betty Grable. Mm-hmm. American heroes, if you will. That's 16 references in one monologue from her. So I did, it was like a lot. So that was just one thing that really stood out to me too. I have some of those in my references section. Okay. Well, I, I did will, better this time than I did last episode. Well, good. Cause I'm going to tell you when I saw that amount of people, I was like, I'm not looking all of them up. Oh, no, no, no. And I'm going to say you're on your own for most of them. But there were a couple that stuck out to me. Oh, that um, are, those would be the ones that we cover. And I would just say, everyone else, look to your 1940s history. <laughs> <clears throat> so uh, would you mind if I jump in and did a little Selena sidebar? Let's do it. It's a sidebar, Selena sidebar. She's got a keyboard looking for a reward by digging deep in the obscure. Taking us on a detour. What you got, Selena? In Selena's sidebar. Uh, so I did one on the Hollywood canteen. Uh-huh. So we talked about it at the beginning of the episode. All the ladies are there for Char- Charlene's birthday, and they wind up watching one of two movies. And one of those two movies, I don't remember the name of the other one, but one of them is Hollywood Canteen. Okay. And Follow the Fleet. 
follow the fleet. Because okay. I had to look it up. So another World War II movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so clearly a her pick. It makes sense. It's her birthday. But like, right. even if you didn't tell me that, like, I'll Stupid be like, birthday girl. Obviously, Charlene picked this movie right. because it's, um, it's a little uh, enamored with World War II. So... I Googled the movie to see what it was about because mm-hmm. I really didn't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was surprised to learn that it and its name were inspired by the real life Hollywood canteen. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Charlene is basically dreaming in this episode that she's in the Hollywood canteen. Oh. I think so now. Mm-hmm. Now that I've read up on it. Got and it. Tell me what you think when I go through this. But so, um, I watched the movie trailer. <laughs> 1940s movie trailers. I don't know if you've seen them before, but wowzer. Oh, you looked like you were crying. I thought it was sad. Uh, yeah. Not sad in a, like, emotional way. Not an emotional way. Sad, okay. It was just, it was just really long. And I <laughs> felt like, like the whole movie. Kind of. Except um, the credits. But, you know, we struggle with that today, too. Yeah. So I can't even watch a Netflix one. Uh, so I will take that, your reaction to mean that you did not realize that maybe that's what they were doing was a play on Hollywood Canteen. It's funny because I did look up Hollywood Canteen. My uh, summary of it, you're so much better at references than I am. I really don't have the stick-to-itiveness on those because I wrote down another World War II movie. <laughs> but I did research it. I did read into it mm-hmm. and knew that it was both a place and a thing. Um, so that did not occur to me, though. Well, Didn't connect those dots. Let's talk about that real place. Okay. So it was only open for three years, 42 to 45, and it was founded by two Hollywood actors and also the stars of the film, Betty Davis and John Garfield. Uh, it was... Service members only okay. at Hollywood Canteen, and it was free to anyone who came. Okay. So that's pretty cool. I It must have been a pretty big place. It held 2,000 people, and it was packed out every single night I bet. for those three years. So here's some numbers that I saw referenced a few times, so I'll share those with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, nearly 4 million service members walked through those doors in those three years. Uh-huh. That is a ton of people. Four million in three years. That is a lot of people. Yeah. Um, More than 3,000 people volunteered. (laughs) Uh, It's the 40s. Three million packs of cigarettes were distributed. (laughs) That's like almost as many as the people. (laughs) Indeed. And uh, six million pieces of cake. I don't know why. Nine million cups of coffee. And I'm going to see if you can guess. And 125,000 gallons of milk. My God. How did you know? Is that that? really it? Yes. (laughs) I would have thought you would have said beer. (laughs) I was thinking it's not milk. That's gross. I don't know why. It's just gross somehow. Everybody knows you got to go in and get your cigarettes, your cake, your (laughs) coffee, and your milk (laughs) at the local bar. (laughs) So Hmm. I guarantee you. I bet it was a ration thing. You stole it right out of my Oh, mouth. sorry. No, no, no. That's good. It wasn't part of my notes. <laughs> I was going to make an in-the-moment guess, but I oh, think that's exactly how they I'm made. sure that's what it was. Um, because of the rations from the time. So uh, this was a way for Hollywood entertainers to contribute to the war effort because I think what they saw as like their contribution was entertaining the soldiers. So soldiers could come in and dance with a famous actress like Betty Grable or have Shirley Temple serve them something to eat. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, she was. Um, I would have it, ordered a Shirley Temple. Thank you. I was surprised though there wasn't like a like a story or an anecdote about that. It was said something about her serving sandwiches, I think. Um, or Roy uh, Rogers famously came through the door on his horse Trigger. Uh, Bob Hope would come in and perform. 
I guess he was doing like stand-ups at the time or something. So this is kind of like, um, oh, what are those shows? The USO mm-hmm. tour shows. Yeah, I almost started, I didn't want to go too far down a rabbit hole, which is very impossible for me to do. Um, but I was wondering how integral maybe Bob Hope was in the beginning of yep. the USO for this very reason. Yeah. Even cooler than him coming to perform, way cooler, I think, Okay. is that he would go in the back afterwards and wash dishes. Oh, I thought you were going to say smoke cigarettes. Well, probably. <laughs> that is very cool. Nikki, of two hands. I, one oh. for dishwashing and one, <laughs> one for this. Yeah, so it was, I think the other part of this is like from the soldier's vantage point and what they were hoping for them is that, you know, a lot of these were probably young kids. They're a long way from home. I mean, some of them may have not, I mean, we're talking about the 40s. You made me people, cry. Sorry. People didn't travel as much as they do now. Right. Pre-2020. And so I think, you know, people um, may have never even left their own hometown before. And so what they were able to do here was provide a place where these, again, most likely kids could let loose for a while, not feel lonely or isolated, and honestly do something that they probably would never do for the rest of their lives. Walk down a red carpet hang out with Betty Grable, like, uh, you know, people they just wouldn't normally have access to, see shows they would never be able to see. Uh, Really cool. Uh, This is not the first canteen of its kind. In fact, it was modeled after something called the Stage Door Canteen in New York City. But there are some things that set it apart from others. And this is largely because of Betty Davis. It was integrated. Hmm. So African-American soldiers and women service members could attend. Oh, that's cool. You know, you always want to take that step back because, again, I think for today, this is like a no-brainer. But this is the 40s. She, I mean, she must have been at like really the height of her powers to be able to have done that at the time, I think. Yeah, I think integration was something this episode talked about a lot and you're probably going to get into an extra sugar. So it was really relevant at this time. Yeah, absolutely. So talk about using your powers for good. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, And I don't, I hate to poo on this story, but at the same time, I think we need the full story, which is that women reported that yes, they were allowed inside, but they weren't really allowed on the dance floor, but had to watch from the balcony. Isn't that just like women to find something to complain about? They were allowed to go in. What else do they want? They want to dance. Oh what I, well, we don't see hear much about Clark Gable coming out to dance with the girls. But <laughs> it's also, we're making a lot of assumptions here, people. So uh, the movie. Hollywood Canteen is produced by Warner Brothers. It goes on to be the fourth highest grossing film that year. It stars dozens of the same people who are walking through the doors of the real Hollywood Canteen. That was kind of the funny thing about watching the movie trailers. It was basically like someone going, I'm Betty Grable. <laughs> and then you're like, I'm Clark Gable. <laughs> and, like, and it was just like that over and over and over again. I was like, was there a plot to this movie? <laughs> it didn't matter. Fourth highest grossing. And the really nice thing is that 40% of those proceeds went directly back into the canteen. That's cool. Uh, so I wanted to share this because I've already said this episode, eh, not for me, but I've got a lot more appreciation for it uh, now that I know about the history of this place and mm. it's really fascinating like wartime contributions and I can see why LBT wanted to honor it. Mm. So I also want to say a big thanks to some articles from the New Orleans National World War II Museum. We'll link to that, but um, those were very integral in me knowing anything about this. (laughs) 
this feels like it opens the door to talk about things that we liked <laughs> about the episode. I have... So in addition to saying earlier in my like general observations, just that I thought it was a creative kind of approach to the episode, one of the things I really liked was how they just basically plucked each character out of the 1980s and put them into World War II. So just as they would have been based on their characters. This mm -hmm. is part and parcel to it being Charlene's dream. Mm -hmm. So it just fits that. But like Miss Warbonds for Suzanne, the warden type character for Julia, who like gets to have her Terminator tirade, uh, Cigarette Girl, Mary Jo. I just thought it was cute. I liked that. I thought that kind of setup was good. And I could see Charlene as like a feisty 1940s like server. Oh, crap. Know. What was her name? I want to say Karen, but that's not right. Oh, they gave her a different name? I think so. Oh, okay. It's so funny because I almost had something in here for us to talk about those different characters that they wound up, wound up portraying. And then I was like, Nikki will kill me if I elongate this episode any longer. <laughs> Perfect. So I did it. So now you can. Uh, oh. So I, I mean, I think that those were all very fitting. Um, and we got, it's just like, if you don't know a lot about World War II, I feel like some of these references might be lost on you. I feel like a lot of it would have been lost on you. Like that, I think that's super interesting that you kind of put the Hollywood canteen slant on it because I think, like you said, I had no idea what that was other than they mentioned it in the movie in the beginning. I wonder, yeah. how does LBT know these things? Has she seen these movies? Well, maybe she's a World War II buff. I mean, I think maybe we've talked off air, if not on air before about the fact that, um, I, I, I'm not sure that Charlene isn't LBT. Oh. Like, I yeah, think yeah. they're both from Poplar Bluff, Missouri. Um, and and then there's just little tidbits that I've read about LBT since we started this that just sort of sound a little bit like Charlene. Yeah. Um, like, I think I've read before that she she considers herself to be in love with love, and I think that's very true of Charlene. And um, I, I – it, it blow me over with a feather. Is that the term? Whatever. Sure. Blow me over with a Mack truck. <laughs> That's really going to change the meaning. Um, but you could do that if LBT is not a World War II fan. Mm, right. I mean, not fan, but <laughs> right. I love war. So I have two things to say. One, I looked it up. Uh, her name was Val. Val. Charlene's name. Okay. Uh, and Perfect. thing number two is uh, I was telling you off air that I just listened to uh, an interview with Tom Hanks on mm -hmm. the podcast. Um, Armchair Expert. This one was Smartless, oh, wasn't smartless. it? Yeah, yeah I think yeah, it's yeah. Smartless. I'm sorry. And they asked him, one of the questions they asked him is like, why are you so into World War II? Oh, uh-huh, uh -huh. And they were like, yeah, I mean, you just do all these movies, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, his answer is fascinating. And one of the things he says is, because the bad guys lost. And it's really cool to be able to tell a true historical story where the bad guys lost. And it makes for an interesting narrative. And then they get into this interesting conversation Similar to some of the things you were touching on about the Hollywood canteen, um, the young guys who were shipping off and serving in this war, the things they were, the heroic things they were doing, and then coming home and running a dry cleaner or coming home and taking over the family farm. And they literally went overseas and saved millions of lives mm -hmm. um, or rescued people or whatever they did, whatever they contributed. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting um answer to the question and mm -hmm. i think for someone who's you just said a fan of world war ii it's not the right word but someone who has a lot of reverence for the war or who's really into exploring it and thinking about it i thought it was an interesting answer yeah also a good interview with tom hanks because he's a national treasure and it's it's rarely cut and dry but i think people do enjoy a time anytime when there's a clear good guy and a clear bad guy yeah 
I think with time, things get a little less clear. <laughs> I'm like, don't ever look at anything too closely. Don't, don't, don't put it under a magnifying glass. Uh, so one thing I'll share that I really liked mm-hmm. was um, I also really liked the initial setup. While I think if I was Bill, I would have ran for the hills. Yeah. Um, I It made me laugh so much when Charlene walked around him when she first met him. <laughs> and she goes... Happy birthday to to me. me. (laughs) I just thought she was the cutest thing. And since we know the full story, it's hilarious. Right. It also kind of tracks with season one because Mary Jo does bring in the best looking man on earth or uh whoever he was. So I could kind of see why she might think like there's a precedence there for it. Right. So that was one for me. What was another top for you? Those were the big things I liked. I, I think I've covered them all. I'm like, I hated this episode. I have 50 things that I like. <laughs> Go for it. I felt like I really, <laughs> I felt like I wanted to be as fair as possible because I feel like I'm already starting from a detriment. It's like someone is asking me, what did you think about this meal? And I'm like, well, I hate the three ingredients right. that make it up. Right. But I know that it was executed well right. or n- not, maybe. So... Um, I like that the episode called out the treatment of African-American soldiers in World War II and didn't try to sugarcoat it. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that was really stunning. And we finally got Anthony getting to point out, because we've talked, I think, on maybe one of our most recent episodes, how he, all of his lines just keep getting cut. You know, like it's there Mm -hmm. on the DVD. We're not watching on the DVD. We're watching on Hulu. And it's always cut. And he's saying some things to talk about racism and say like, this is really jacked up. And he like point blank says at the beginning of the movie, like, sorry, Charlene, I'm not going to join in on your romantic party celebrating World War II because it sucked for my people. Exactly. Uh, and I and I think that we've seen him, when his lines don't get cut, we get to see him be that voice of reason. Yeah. And, and what, um, what, what a nice way to use a character to make sure that these things that sort of get passed down the line, it's like... I'm not saying Gone with the Wind wasn't a great book, but to just for it to be this unflawed piece of whatever right. is also really unfair. Right. Um, and to not have somebody maybe stand up and go, yeah, I mean, it was great, but also this. Right. You know? Also this thing I can't really look beyond. Yeah. I also liked in Charlene's dream that she, because um, it would have been a big deal for the time. It also fits in nice with the, with the Hollywood canteen story. She openly dances with Anthony. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, even though that seems to be aggravating some of, well, the racists in the crowd. Mm. <laughs> so uh, during the dream sequence, we do get like a really odd pop-up, which is Reese. Oh, yeah. Um, he's barely there. But my favorite thing was if you see him... We have talked several times that Reese Watson is not for us, but we have a sneaking suspicion that Hal Holbrook might be. Yeah. We talked about their relationship several episodes ago in real life. Mm. And one of the things that we learned is that Hal Holbrook, sometimes they wouldn't let him sit in the audience because he would whoop so loud anytime that uh, Dixie Carter did her Julia thing. Right. And um, he was like too loud to uh, knock out his sound and sound editing. So... If you're looking at him standing behind Julia when she's making that very dramatic call to Hitler, <laughs> I loved seeing him smile at her. Oh, I'll have to rewatch that. I didn't notice that. It's like that thing where they're talking about watch a wedding and you watch the guy to see how he reacts to the bride coming down the, um, well, let's just say spouses. I did that at my own wedding waiting for my husband to cry and he never did. So sometimes it doesn't pay off. Well, just pinch him. <laughs> Um, 
And then I said this before too, but and I think this plays into something that we both like, which was this absurdity towards the end of the dream as she's probably coming to. So again, we get Eddie Murphy and Mr. Right. Rogers in their um, list of references. Right. So it's it gets it's like meta meta, mm. which I like the idea to be fun. Yeah. I think that's kind of nice. Uh, and um, Anthony suddenly doing a pretty good Ray Charles it's impression. Pretty good. I liked it. Yeah, I thought it was nice. Um, and one of the soldiers says, "Hey, hey." That can't be here. It's the 1940s, and you didn't come along to the 1960s. And Mary Jo basically says, "Hey, this is America, and we can dream whatever we want." <laughs> so, like, it was all ridiculous. But if you'll just take it in like the fun, like tone, I think it was meant to be. Yeah. It was very enjoyable. Yeah. And my last thing that I liked in this episode that I hated, <laughs> <laughs> that I'm probably be bringing my own self around the bend right now, is the conversation between Anthony and Mr. Woods at the VA hospital. Oh yeah. Got me real teary-eyed. Yeah. Um, and it, it's really talking about um, one of the times where they went in and they were um, getting some of the people out of the um, camps mm-hmm. and how one of the men at the camp reacted to him. Um, and it's a little bit about that of like what we all bring things into a scenario when we meet people. So I think this gentleman thought that maybe – what this man was going to remark on was the color of his skin, but what he remarked on was, thank you, we've been waiting for you. Yeah. And I sunk into the couch. So that's an, I, I was scrolling through my notes to see, I, I mentioned that somewhere, because that was a really, um, the silly episode, kind of nonsensical. There was definitely some uh, element of emotion to it, because like, you were supposed to feel for Charlene when she thought she lost Bill. Really, I was just thinking she'd lost her marbles, to be honest. But Mm -hmm. um, that part was unexpected. I did not expect for him, for that piece to come at the end, and then for him to tell that story. And I was like, holy crap, that's that's the real stuff. And it happened fast. Yeah. It's only like a minute of the show. Yeah. And so you could be, I don't know, dusting and miss it. So watch it a second time if you did. <laughs> I've already said my piece about things that I felt like I didn't like because of just the general setup of it. Oh, I have something for you. I took another picture, just like the last episode, because I keep remarking I'm on like, wardrobe things. God help me. Oh. She has a vest at the very beginning of the episode, and it's like patchwork. Yeah. Over like a white button-up collared shirt, maybe. Yeah. But the collared shirt is kind of like what you see on um, the old maid cards. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a um, it's a high pie collar. crust collar. Yeah, almost. I don't even know. I've seen that before. Because yeah. I actually do like um, a collar that's buttoned up all the way. No, like a dramatic collar moment. Yeah, I, I like just that. can't handle the vest. It's like patchwork. It is not. They just keep getting her. I think the um, <laughs> vest over a button-up shirt is very – like, I can visualize my mom's, like, going to work clothes, and yeah. there was a vest situation. Now, I used to think that was the coolest outfit. I can remember – and it probably looked just like this, to be honest. You know what I think part of the problem with that is? Is it's not well-fitted. Oh. I think the um, – she needs, like, tailoring to those sleeves. Yeah. Because she's, she's so, so tiny. She's so petite. Mm-hmm. Uh, so – And then uh, my other thing I didn't like, we said it – and I'll just say it again, the singing, I only liked the Ray Charles impersonation. Yeah. I, so we were kind of alluded to this, but I'm just going to, I'll just go ahead and knock this sucker home is that the, while there were aspects that I do think are really creative and I can understand why maybe 
a showrunner doesn't want to do the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. I I can't imagine how boring that gets. Mm -hmm. And they want to shake things up. And they want to do, like what you're saying, like taking them to do like the cruise episode or doing something like this that's a little off book. I I totally understand that. But I do think it was a little clunky and disjointed. Oh. mm -hmm. So, you know... First, we start out like it's normal. Then we spend most of the time in this World War II fever dream slash 40s musical. Then they pull us out of all of that. And we get what basically feels like it could have been its own episode. But they kind of condense it down into like, what do we have? Like five minutes left after the whole thing. And very quickly, we get this whole plot line where... Charlene thinks he's dead. Oh. She's convinced of that. Mm-hmm. Then she goes down to talk to someone at the base. Then they tell her that he's a pilot from the 40s that died. So that was another sto- piece of the story that I missed on the first couple of watchings. And I was like, what the, what has happened? Is Wait, but we know Bill's a person. Right. Is he a dream? What's happening? And what happened, if you didn't watch the episode, is that he was playing a joke on her. Right. For calling so much. But it... it Felt more like it, it almost could have been a cool plot line, but that would be like a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. And so I understand why they didn't stick with it, why they turned it into a joke, but it just felt like frenetic. Yeah, I agree with that. That's a good way of describing it. Anything else? Well, you know what that means. What does it mean? It's time to rate this sucker. Uh, what my, you got? My rating scale is jitterbugs. Jitterbug. Oh, wrong air. Jitterbugs. <laughs> Oh, no, I just want to sing the song. I know. It's in my... <laughs> in my heart. <laughs> um, four out of five. Okay. Four out of five jitterbugs. <laughs> uh, okay. So I really liked it. I thought it was uh, romantic. It was, like I said earlier, silly. But it also was kind of educational. <laughs> okay. Some low-key education in there. Well, especially for us because we have to look up all the references. <laughs> the references. Um, I, I'm also just a sucker for like all things America and Americana and like go America. Cause you know, I know we have our problems, but it's sometimes nice to be our own fans. Sure. Uh, and like I said, I cried when the elderly soldier told, uh, that story to Anthony. So I thought there was, um, it was a creative execution. You're, you're changing my mind on how much I liked it. Cause you're right. I did feel whiplashy. Um, but I liked it. All right. Well, mine was two out of five unexpected musical numbers, but mm-hmm. I wanted to say something. After going through this, I cannot have two dislikes and seven likes. Uh, you had a lot. I think I got to at least knock it up to three. Okay. Three out of five unexpected of the musical numbers. Yeah, I think I think we had some highs. I think we had some lows. I think there could have been some better execution. And I, as someone not in the television industry, have zero right to say that. So. I feel like such an a-hole. And I'm like, I just think there's so much they could have done better here. I know. I mean, like, LBT, feel free to slap us around. And, like, come on the show and just bat us <laughs> we'll back take and it. forth. We'll yeah. take it. Um, so combination of either 80s Southern or unknown references. So I think, I don't have any there. Um, I think there's some that maybe could have fit there. I'm not sure, but I didn't put them there. So Ah. I got nothing. Yeah. I I have have 180s reference. What you got? Anthony fiddling with the VCR. It's just funny because I should show you, mine says Anthony fiddling (laughs) (laughs) with a video recorder. (laughs) And then I just, fiddling. Fiddling. Well, you know, because we're Southern. Right. I don't know if you know this or not, but this is a Southern podcast. (laughs) Uh, And I had watching a movie on VHS. Yeah. So speaking of being Southern, did you have any Southern things? I really reached for this one. 
I was reaching. I was a reach. So at the beginning, Suzanne said next time they want to play cards, they should invite Olivia May. Oh, okay. Which sounds like a double name, and double names are Southern. Um, that, that. That's just like a fake character in their world, though, right? Yes, okay. I think so. Um, I, well, I was reaching. Okay. Pretty, pretty, pretty hard on this one. Okay. I had, Suzanne says, that doesn't tax my imagination. I don't know that's Southern, but it sounds Southern. Sure gave it the old reach around. <laughs> Oh, no. no we, don't, we don't do that in the same oh, oh, right. right. We, don't, we get in trouble for that. Sorry. Um, but it is really fun when you accidentally say that in a meeting, <laughs> uh, meaning to say something else. Mm -hmm. For heaven's sake, that oh. also feels Southern to me. Mm. I don't know. This one's real. <laughs> Their first date is at uh, Ritz-Carlton with the balcony. So I put that in my things I had to look up because I really wanted to find, like, was that a, an Atlanta institution or something? I think it has been for many, many years because the tea, With the balcony? I don't know about with the balcony, but okay. the, the Ritz-Carlton in downtown has been there for forever. Yeah. And like, so I know they do like a, a regular Sunday tea and that's been a thing for years and yeah. years and years that like Southern ladies would go to. So I looked, still go. I looked up the Ritz-Carlton. Mm -hmm. I think the one in downtown is the one we stayed in on our honeymoon. Mm -hmm. um, we stayed in an amazing suite. I can't even describe it right now. I'll save that for later. But it was incredible. Um, but we recently stayed at the Whitley in Buckhead because there's also a Ritz-Carlton in Buckhead. Pretty sure that's where we stayed because they debranded it as a Ritz-Carlton. They said over time it had just like kind of fallen. How did they word it? It was worded so strangely. Fallen below the standard of Ritz-Carlton. And I'm like, well, it's sort of your job to bring it back up to the standard now. <laughs> Um, but I guess they just decided it wasn't worth it anymore. Uh, and in like 2009, their chef had quit um, after so many years of being there. But it was just there like from the 80s onward. Mm. Uh, but it was like sort of highfalutin. Mm -hmm. uh, Francis Ford Coppola debuted his wine collection there in the late 1990s. Oh, that's so. This is unexpected. This is where I ended up on my deep dive. And I found no answers on the actual Ritz-Carlton, except I agree with you. That other one's been there a while. There's a Rince Carlton in Atlanta, is what we're trying to say. <laughs> Just the one now, though. There used to be two. A, maybe a balcony. <laughs> maybe not. The Who's crazy thing is, is like, I used to live in downtown Atlanta. I used to walk by there every day, but I wasn't looking up for balconies. And that you weren't, you weren't at that point in your life. <laughs> no. I was just trying to make it to work. and barely doing that. <clears throat> All right. It's a, why don't you take over the references? Oh, okay. It sounds like you uh, have done a more... Oh, I don't know about that. Uh, I had to look up the Follow the, Follow the Fleet, the movie okay. that they um, watched at the beginning of the episode. It was Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers' fifth collaboration. Okay. It was a musical dance comedy with a nautical theme. That's it didn't right. feel super like World War II related, but mm -hmm. it was like in that era. Mm -hmm. Hollywood Canteen, I don't need to say much about that. Um, I had to look up Matahari. Same. I've heard that so many times in my life. <sighs> Did somebody no do this movie? Again? I had no idea. So, um, Matahari was a Dutch exotic dancer and courtesan who was convicted of being a spy for Germany during World War I. Many people believed she was innocent and condemned only because the French army needed a scapegoat. She was executed by firing squad in France. Mm -hmm. I mean, we could do it. I mean, we So, can. is there a movie about the Matahari? Well, there was one, but it was like, I think it was super early on, like, in movies, like, so like in the twins, not a talkie, uh, possibly not. So it probably um, wasn't that good. So I'm thinking, like, come on, Angelina Jolie. Mm, yeah, I feel like she would she, really kill this part. That's a good idea. 
You should be a caster. Um, I'm like, let's write this thing. Uh, you already went through the list of people that Julia mentioned. Um, I'm going to say I looked up a couple of them. Okay. I had to look up Audie Murphy. Yeah. Because she said Audie Murphy and then Eddie Murphy. And what I was thinking in my mind was, since it's Charlene's dream, she just said the wrong, like, was mixing up uh, things. Uh-huh. But no, Audie Murphy really was a real person. That's Audie Murphy was an American soldier, actor, songwriter, and rancher. Uh, most importantly, possibly, was that he was one of the most decorated American combat soldiers of World War II. Wow. And like a lot of medals. So, well, that's really interesting. And the thing, the reason I know about him at all is because I think there, sometime when I was younger and there was reference made to him and I'm like, I think they mean Eddie. Yeah. And my mom was like, no, honey. They mean Audie. And I and like so back then I was like, oh, you know. Whoopsie. I didn't know. Um so anyways, um that's really interesting. There was though. something about he held a at nineteen years old, and this goes back to that point about like really young people doing really monumental things in wartime. At nineteen years old, he held off the German army, I think it was, in a one hour battle campaign, which is overwhelming. An do, hour. Do you see why I can't talk about my achievements? This is what I'm saying. This uh, is what I'm saying. Uh, w- w- what would what, what you see? Yes. I went to work. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed 100%. Or like we're older than all the people that like founded the country. Yeah. I mean, I'm just done. But, you know, I read something recently that said people hit their creative stride between like 35 and 41. So there's still time. Um, I also had to look up Eddie Rickenbacker. Mm-hmm. I think she said, when I looked it up in the script, it was Eddie Rickenback. Mm-hmm. But when I Googled it, it was Rickenbacker. Mm. Um, but Eddie was an American fighter ace in World War One and a Medal of Honor recipient. He had 26 aerial victories. Uh, he was the U.S.'s most successful fighter in the war and considered to have received the most awards for valor by an American during the war. So not an entertainer. Not that that's important. <laughs> no, this guy was cool. I didn't write all this down, but he was pretty cool. Like he, um, after the war, he became uh, a consultant to the U.S. government on military matters, um, was a big time golfer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he traveled a lot with his wife, but there was something, a CEO or CFO of, a, oh, a, one of the flight uh, lines, oh, airlines. Okay. Um, until like that, it was... One of them that you've heard of, but kind of went away in the 80s. TWA, maybe? Something no, like, that. like it started with an E, I thought. I can't oh, remember. Easter error. It, that might have been it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, after he stepped down, he and his wife traveled a lot. They retired to Florida. Um, they traveled to like Switzerland for, um, it gets, this is sad. Um, traveled to Switzerland for some kind of medical treatment for her, where he had maybe a stroke and then contracted pneumonia and passed away there. And um, maybe like five years later, she actually died by suicide because she was still so over at 92. Uh, she died by suicide because she was still overcome with her grief at losing him. Oh my gosh. Really sad. But the dude was cool. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't blame her because he was really cool. And it's Eastern, not Easter. Easter, uh, Eastern yeah. Airlines. Yeah. I, that's probably something I thought it was called when I was a kid or something, um, you know, because the holiday. I also had to look up Bergen Belson camp. So this is the content I, I put together two and two, that it was a concentration camp. Mm -hmm. But this was the camp referenced by the African-American soldier at the end of the episode when he's talking to Anthony. Um, This is the camp he helped liberate. Uh, This was uh, incidentally where Anne and Margot Frank were there, were at that camp and died. Anne Frank, of course, uh, Anne Frank, Diary of Anne Frank. Right. Which led me down a rabbit hole in Anne Frank and her life. 
of course I've been down that rabbit hole before, but it was a nice reminder of, um, again, we're talking about young people doing extraordinary things. She just wrote down her observances and became sort of a cultural icon for what this did to a generation of kids and families for just existing and existing under a certain belief system. So, yeah. Well, and I think it's always like, um, pretty amazing to see, What's something that's like serious, like really serious, uh, the way it affects the world? I mean, we're living through that time right now with the pandemic, you know, how it's affected the entire world together and the kind of, I mean, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to bring it down, but the kind of, it can do two things. We can do thousands of things, but one of them is it is a little scarring because Mm -hmm. it's like everyone experiencing a trauma at one point in time and earth. And that's, and to me, that's mind boggling, you mm-hmm. know, because we as a global unit don't get to experience much together. Mm-hmm. We don't even understand hardly anything about each other. Um, I don't even know anything about the guy across the street from me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I think there's something really monumental. He pressure about washes that. his driveway a lot. He does. <laughs> the brightest driveway ever. <laughs> you know something. Actually, he's the only one I do know. <laughs> and he's a lovely person. Terrible example. Um, I will not throw out his name on the podcast, <laughs> but he's a lovely human being. Um, but anyway, so I, I don't know. I think it's nice to stop and reflect on that kind of thing. And, and, and if this episode makes you and I be able to sit down and do something like that, then five out of five. Isn't that crazy? That That's sort of my point about this episode. Like it was um, entertaining and light. But also there was so much about it that when I really sat down, I think in a pre-Google world, I would have struggled with it. Although maybe I would have had encyclopedias, who's to say? But I would have like, I maybe wouldn't have stepped away and taken that time to look into each one of these references and remember what each one means. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's cool to have the podcast as an opportunity to do that. Uh, But also like, it's all just a Google search away and you owe it to yourself to sort of say like, Bergen Belson, what is that? And then realize... Oh, like there are certain concentration camps that you'll say, and we're all like, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Bergen-Belsen was not one of them for me today mm-hmm. when I watched this episode. So when I looked it up, I was like, oh, Anne Frank. Mm-hmm. And like, sadly, she died like a month and a half or two months before it was liberated. Yeah. After existing the entire war. And oh, God, it's just tragic. Yeah. Um, did you have others that you looked That was up? it. So I, look, I'm going to tell you what, we... <laughs> I have ones. I think the only things that I want to say, because I just thought this, Mary Jo calls somebody palookas. Oh, yeah. And did you know what that was? Uh, I've heard it as a word before. I meant to look it up and I never did. Okay. Is there something good about it? It just means stupid, clumsy, or uncouth person. And I just thought uncouth was funny because... Oh, we use that word all the time. Right. So no matter what era we're in, we're going to find... We're going to find the synonym for uncouth. (laughs) And then tipperillos, that's what... um, Hmm. Mary Jo was selling, and I'm only mentioning that. It's actually not a cigarette. It's a cigar, a shorter, thinner, milder cigar, should you be interested. Is but that a cigarillo? Cigarillo? Cigarillo. Uh, I think that's also like a, a small cigar. Oh, okay. Uh, don't quote me on that. <laughs> I am the one out of the two of us that used to smoke, though, but I wasn't smoking a ton of cigars. <laughs> um, but the reason I mention them is because they're made in the South, in Dothan, Alabama. Oh, interesting. So I had to get that Southern connection in there. Otherwise, we could be doing this. <laughs> there were a lot of references. Until, until the cows come home. Oh, wait, one more. Jitterbugging itself. Oh, uh-huh. I only say that because I think there's something that is so interesting when there is like an export of ours 
that really make that kind of just goes worldwide. Oh, and jitterbugging was one of those. Oh, is that right? Mm-hmm. So it's uh, I mean, it's just a the way my reading of it is really a type of swing dancing. Um, and so it originated here in the 30s and 40s, and when everybody was going overseas, it spread internationally by American soldiers, like other things. Like, <laughs> Dang it. I had to use the word spread, didn't I? She means syphilis. I had to get that in there. And babies, probably. Oh. So. Um, it's yay. a busy time. Yay, babies. Yes, yay. Syphilis. Uh, cut lines. I have just one. I don't know if it's the only one that I saw, but I, in the interest of scaling back, yep. I'm going to mention just one that I'm going to argue passionately against. I do feel like it should have been included. Okay. Because I think it sets the stage for Charlene and Bill's fast and furious relationship. Do you have this one too? I bet you we have the same one. Go ahead. So at dinner, right after Bill says uh, something about, I think it's where he was saying like, this is the first time he's felt like he's alive, being alive when talking about all the feelings uh, meeting Charlene is stirred up in him. She says, I know. And I just can't believe how we feel the same way about everything. We both cry when we listen to the national anthem. We both get mad when people don't put their hands over their hearts. And our favorite song is I'll Be Seeing You. And he says, yeah, I think maybe this calls for children. And then she says, did you ever get the feeling you were born in the wrong time? And he said, all the time. And she said, Bill, he said, what? Would you like to come in? Charlene, I want you so bad my teeth ache. But if I go in there, even the jaws of life couldn't get me out. So I better not. What the worst line to cut? It, it's, this is what I'm saying. Can you imagine be, being LBT? You make a decision to put I'll be seeing you as the title episode and then also this kind of dot connector. Yep. And then they just rip it out. Yep. I just mm. feel like we... Talked a little bit about red flags around Charlene and the whole idea that she fell so fast for him was a red flag for me. And then if you read this line, you're sort of like, he was feeling it too, though. Yes. Like it wasn't as one-sided as it felt. Yeah. I still feel like I came away with thinking that he was really into her. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> all those warning flags. <laughs> he still comes back. <laughs> um, but also like you could just see it. But yeah, this crystallizes it. And that was a silly cut, I think. It was. And there was something else I was going to say as mm -hmm. I was reading it, gears shifting in my head. I was thinking, is that what she said to Mary Jo's dad? When they were having drinks, something along the lines of, did you ever feel like you were born in the wrong time? Yes. Yeah. I think, I, I think that she says something about how she feels like she was meant to be alive then. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I had, I mean, I do have others. There was one that I don't think is important, but one that I did think was important was uh, between Anthony and the veteran. Veterinarian. <laughs> In the vet <laughs> at the VA hospital. And basically um, him saying that pretty soon all the people who fought that war would be gone. Mm. And I just feel like that is very relevant to this conversation right now because it is talks like this and, 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 and reflecting back that keeps those memories alive. Mm -hmm. And those memories are important because if you learn anything in history, it's if you don't. It itself. And there you go. So let's not do that. Let's not. <laughs> Let's do something different. You want to do something different and go to episode 10? I do. Uh, stranded. Mm -hmm. But first, hang tight for extra sugar. What do we got this week? This week, we're going to discuss the role and experiences of African-American military members during World War II, not necessarily rolling off the tongue, but stick around. <laughs> I think you'll like it. I think it'll be a good one. So uh, as always, follow along with us and engage. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Sweet Tea and TV. 
Uh, our email address is sweetttvpod at gmail.com. And you can visit us on the World Wide Web, <laughs> www.sweetttv.com. You know what that means. What does it mean, Selena? We'll see you around the bend. Bye. Welcome to this week's edition of Extra Sugar. But seriously, today's segment uh, was inspired by the mentions we get, um, or got rather, about African-American service members in World War II. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, I mean, we just went over a good bit of this, but starting with Anthony's story about his uncles who had to endure segregation while fighting for their country, the scene that you just heard, and finally, Charlene welcoming Anthony into her dream, uh, her dream canteen, in spite of the racist grumblings of the other patrons. Uh, so it felt like too many mentions to not take a moment and reflect on what exactly it was that was being faced at this time in this mm-hmm. time period. Mm-hmm. World War II expert Stephen Ambrose put it this way: "The world's greatest democracy fought the world's greatest racist with a segregated army." Mm. And that's really something that, like, when I read that, it really hit me because it's not something that I learned about in school. Did Mm. you learn about this in school? I don't think so. Segregation. Sure. Yes. But not at the military level and certainly not in World War II. I don't remember it being, like, a big part of our history class. Okay. So, same. And even when I got into college... And college history is not the history of high school and middle school. It's Mm -hmm. just, it's more in depth. And even there, we just didn't get that. So let's back it up for a little bit of a setup to say during World War II, we're still 20-ish years out from the legal end of segregation, which comes with the passage of the Civil Rights Act in 1964. And so the military, including the draft, was also segregated. And the Roosevelt administration initially didn't want to allow African-Americans to register for the draft at all. Oh, wow. It does hit you in a certain way, right? Because we look at, um, not everyone, but I would say that most Americans look at FDR in that time period with a lot of reverence. Yeah. That was a word that you used that really resonated with me during the episode. And I, I would think that here too. Yeah. I think that really speaks for the time. Yeah. Um, There goes on, though, to be about 1.2 million African-Americans who fight in the war, mostly men, but notably thousands of women as well. The blueprint of Jim Crow is applied directly to the military. So here's what that means. On the military basis, everything was separate. Mm. Blood banks, 
hospitals, medical staff, um, the barracks, recreational facilities, all of it. Uh, and I, I say that to say, to really just stop and think, we know from civilian history that this whole idea of separate, <laughs> okay, separate but equal mm. was a bunch of baloney. Yeah. So, you know, I can, I'm guessing that these facilities that were specifically for African Americans were not uh, the same as what white bases had. Seems like a fair assumption based on everything else we know. Um, and, and so... We know from some of our history professors like Matthew Delmont at Dartmouth, here's what he had to say about that experience. Uh, the experience was very dispiriting for a lot of black soldiers. The kind of treatment they received by white officers in army bases in the United States was horrendous. They described being in slave-like conditions and being treated like animals. They were called racial epithets quite regularly and just not afforded respect either as soldiers or human beings. So, I know it's very disheartening. I'm I'm self-censoring the words that are going through my head. That's just so messed up. It, it's I mean it's it's I think it's even it's just so hard to hear now. Yeah. Um, and we continue to learn and grow. We're not even close to perfect is something way out there. Mm -hmm. So I am in no way saying that like, Hey, we've got things solved now. No, we got lots of problems today, but this is just like a whole different level. And that right there is a real racket because they basically had to fight just to get through the door. And then once they finally got through that door, they were relegated to support roles, cooks, mechanics, building roads, digging ditches and unloading supplies. Now look, I'm not trying to crap on those roles. Those roles are important, but the difference is, is if you can't get anywhere else, you know, that's the problem. It kind of pokes holes in that whole American dream thing, mm -hmm. you know, that you can be anyone, anywhere and get anywhere and go anywhere. As long as you're white, middle class or upper middle class. <laughs> right. So, right. So there's lots of, uh addendums to that. Right. So African-American soldiers, they were deemed unfit for combat. And what I was picking up on when I was reading these articles is that American politicians distrusted African-American soldiers to have weapons. That's what I read in it. Oh, wow. So I want to spend a few minutes on what I imagine is a lesser dis discussed aspect of the segregated military, and that's what happened with African-American nurses. So, and I say that too because... Um, I, I, we're largely ta talking about women in the military at this point. Um, and, and even though they made up a s smaller segment, I feel like they probably get talked about even less. Mm. And that's why I wanted to set aside some time. So here's the background. Much like the military at large, the U.S. Army Nurse Corps reluctantly admitted African-American nurses to serve during the war. But with political pressure from civil rights groups and then also the African-American press, 56 African-American nurses were finally admitted into the U.S. Army Nurse Corps in 41. And then they're all subsequently sent to segregated bases in the South. So I'm sure that went swimmingly well. Mm -hmm. uh, by the end of the war, that number had only grown to about 500 mm. out of 59 
thousand. Wow. So what strikes me as I'm reading all of this is it's very interesting because I'm guessing there were more than 500 able bodies. Mm -hmm. And so we're not only, or we as in the collective we of this country, deciding to be exclusionary Mm -hmm. and racist and all of these other things, but we're also putting that ahead of getting people in the door to help in the war effort. We're limiting our response. Exactly. But, yeah. It's just, it's like nonsensical all the way around. Yeah. Uh, so here's a really interesting aspect of what was happening with nur- nurses. So there were almost 400,000 German prisoners of war or POWs who were captured in Europe and Northern Africa, and then sent here and detained in more than 600 camps across the country. Mm. This was also something I had no idea about. Uh, African-American army nurses were overwhelmingly assigned to these camps, but they were considered second-rate assignments. And the reason why is because most of these POWs were healthy. That was a requirement of the travel. Oh. So not only are they being isolated and they're lonely and all these other things are happening, they're not even having their skills used. And so a senior lecturer at Exeter, Matthias Reese, it just sounds right, doesn't it? That's a nice name. (laughs) Um, So he described German prisoners as being surprised by the racism and segregation upon arriving in the U.S. Here's just one example. So he's in a train depot in Texas. Uh, and he's not. <laughs> Matthias was not there. But his name sounds like he could have been there. <laughs> I don't know. Matthias sounds like somebody who could have been like in Quaker times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Matthias. <laughs> sure, you're wonderful. Uh, but so in a train depot in Texas, there's a group of African-American soldiers who were denied access to the whites-only dining hall, yet saw through a window a group of German POWs and their American guards sitting at a table. Come on, man. All together, laughing and eating. Come on, man. Be better. Jeez, Louis, be better in 1945. Just... <laughs> Just just be better. Good Lord. Uh, it doesn't... Yeah, I know. It's terrible. It's infuriating. I mean... To, like, yep. fight your way tooth and nail into an army that doesn't want you to defend a country that doesn't want to take care of you. I feel like I almost want to pause and stop at that because I think that shows... One thing I think we're sort of circling around today is, like... So people in World War II are called the greatest generation. Mm. And maybe there's a reason for that. Because let yeah. me tell you about old elder millennials. How hard it was for us to come up with achievements. <laughs> let me tell you how hard it was to get my phone to download this morning. <laughs> it can be a struggle if your Starbucks app isn't working. Yeah. So <laughs> there's like that frivolous aspect to it. But I'm also thinking about the draft and just thinking like, I'm a lousy human being because I'm like, <laughs> you're telling me I'm out of the draft and I'm like, cool. All right. And they're fighting to get into it. Right. You know, to and do I, their part. it's just like a different like caliber of person <laughs> that I, I'm I really feeling that. lowly about myself. <laughs> and, and you know what? I think I should. <laughs> so, and well, you haven't been faced with a dare to be great moment like that though, n- to be fair. Did like, I not tell you about trying to download <laughs> the latest settings on my phone? The closest we came was like 9-11 and the Iraq War and 
like my my sister joined the military straight out of high school. Mm-hmm. My brother joined the military out of high school a little bit later, um, but we were still stationed over there. I have friends who joined the war, but war was different in World War II than it was by the time we came along. So like the way you waged a war was just so different. So they just did what they had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, again, going back to that podcast I mentioned while we were in the main episode, um, Smartless, where they interviewed Tom Hanks, he tells a story about a guy who served in the war that he just met, sort of, that Tom Hanks met just, like, in his pre-famous life. And the guy basically just says it like, it was my job, I had to do it, and I did what I had to do, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that, on the one hand, yes, we're a different generation because we face different challenges and different things. The, the Iraq War never escalated to the draft, and to us having to serve, though I certainly knew a lot of friends who did serve. And I had a history teacher in high school. He got fired after he said this, but he told us, um, look around this classroom. Look at the men and the boys sitting next to you. In 10 years, they won't be there anymore. They're probably going to die in this war. Um, So we were, I think we were expecting something. And, And certainly many did die. I don't want to take that away. Many did die, but it it's just not been the same kind of war campaign that it was for World War II. Um, yeah. So don't take too much away from yourself. Thank you, you haven't been faced with it. Well, well, speak- did you or did you not stay home when they told you to stay home during the pandemic? I, yeah, I did. You did your part. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I watched Netflix. So... All, while all this is going on, I think, uh, and you know, all... In all these different facets of the war, you have people fighting to get through the door and then fighting once they're here. Well, there were advocates back home that were taking a stand for these injustices as well. And a big player being the African-American media and one of those things being the Double V campaign, which was led by the Pittsburgh Courier newspaper. Double V is in double victory, winning the war overseas and the one against discrimination at home. It's seen as an early part of the civil rights movement. Uh, so I just, I wanted to give that a nod because, uh, that probably wasn't an easy campaign at the time. Yeah. In the final year of the war, African-Americans begin to be used differently by the military. I hate to report it's not because of a change of heart, but because so many soldiers were dying. However, this happenstance opens the door for some really important contributions because we don't want to end this thing on the lowest of notes. So let's talk about some really cool things. The first one is called the Red Ball Express. Now this is a unit of mostly African-American drivers who delivered critical supplies to General George Patton's Third Army in France. They drove up to 400 miles on narrow roads in the middle of the night without headlights to avoid detection by the Germans. Oh wow. Nikki, I can't even drive to Kroger at night. I can't drive on the south side of Atlanta where my husband's family's from after dark because there are no streetlights. It is very dark in that area. I have headlights, and I'm like, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Um, so, and I don't want to make light of that with my Kroger story. But no, that's that's a, that's amazing. It's one of the ways I know I can't do it. It's that thing <laughs> in the Netflix comment. Um, Another really cool thing was the 761 Tank Battalion. This is the first African-American division to see ground combat in Europe, joining Patton's Third Army in France in November 1944. The men helped liberate 30 towns under Nazi control and spent 183 days in combat, including the Battle of the Bulge. 183 days is half of a year. I mean, that's nuts. Uh... 
Then probably the most famous example is the Tuskegee Airmen. I imagine that most people are familiar with that. I sure hope so, because it's amazing. Yeah, well, I think that's, the reason I put it last is because I felt like people were most familiar with it, and I really didn't know about these other examples, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to spend some time on those for that reason. Uh, But, yeah, this is a fighter pilot group trained at Tuskegee Institute in Alabama. They escorted bombers um, over Italy and Sicily, flying 1,600 combat missions and destroying 237 German aircraft on the ground and 37 in the air. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah. Unfortunately, everyone returns home and what they encounter is racial violence and denial of benefits. Well, of course. Isn't that what they deserve as American heroes? Absolutely. So... We do get President Harry Truman. He signs an executive order that is going to desegregate the U.S. Armed Forces. He signs that in July of 1948. By the way, that's three years after the war is over. More so than that, we know, I don't know if you know this, but the government's a slow-moving machine. (laughs) Is that right? Did you know that? Anyways, the military wouldn't be fully integrated until the Korean War. Wow. I I just want to say that this is sort of my takeaway on this one. There are, especially within the context of this larger episode in Charlene's way of thinking about things, okay? So, several sides to every story. And World War II is arguably one of the most important moments in all of human history. It is highly scrutinized, deeply studied, but it's things like this that make me think about how it may be overly romanticized. Yeah. Uh, you know, someone like Charlene thinks of valiant men returning to ticker tape parades and Times Square kisses. By the way, the woman said she didn't want to be kissed, but whatever. And there, and there were those things. And that no one's denying that or taking that away. But there were also these other things. Someone else's glorious memory may be someone else's heartache it may be their worst day ever. And so that's why it's important for us to consider these multiple perspectives, to come outside of our bubble, to learn about things that may be hard or troubling to hear. And uh, so thank you for allowing me to share this. Thank you for sharing. I I thank you for doing that research and sharing all that. I think we have the benefit of having like Saving Private Ryan style movies and movies that I feel like have tried to tell the less romantic version of the war story. Whereas Mm -hmm. she's watching movies like Hollywood Canteen, which to me sound like they weren't these highly orchestrated representations of the battle on the field. Mm -hmm. Um, What was that other movie that was completely silent for almost the whole movie? Um, Oh gosh, I'm forgetting the name of it. It was just a few years ago. It was amazingly moving. Um, Oh, with the two kids trying to deliver the message across the lines. Dunkirk. Is mm-hmm. the one I'm thinking of. Um, it was incredibly moving uh-huh. to see, like, yeah, these young people existing in this war. So we have the benefit of seeing that side of the war. And so I wonder if it was different during Charlene's time. Um, maybe she only saw the romantic side of it. Although I think LBT, by referencing the issues with segregation, brought it in. Um, but I, I feel grateful that I at least respect enough to know that it's not all jitterbugs and pretty dresses. And to that note, let's say that it, even though Charlene is like over, maybe overly romantic about it, LBT did give nods to these things as well, which is what propelled us to look it up. Yeah. So, so thanks for doing all that research. That was, um, 
incredibly informative. Well, we'll include these um, sources in our show notes, and we'll leave it there for this week. That's our edition of Extra Sugar.